Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago. I own a practice called Head Heart Therapy, where we specialize in addiction, trauma, shame, and all the other fun things that people come to therapy for. And it's funny when I say that I do some shame groups in treatment centers around Chicago. They often call me the shame lady and I always go in and I'm like, shame is super fun to talk about, right, you guys? And it's not always fun to talk about, but I feel like if we can bring some levity and some joy to really difficult topics, I think it makes healing from them that much easier. Also want to give a quick plug for following me. I mean, if you like the podcast, please be friends with me. I really love making new friends. And you can find me on Facebook at Head Heart Therapy or at Wounded Healer. And that's H-E-A-L-R without that last E. Don't ask. I feel like I screwed it up, but here we are with that as the name. So... <laughs> So please follow me on Facebook and we can have conversations. I, I try to reply to all the messages that I get and I try to post some cool and interesting things. So please join me there. Join the conversation. So today's guest, speaking of bringing joy to difficult topics, my guest today is Dawn Nickel and she is the visionary behind She Recovers. And She Recovers is essentially a women's group to support women in recovery from absolutely anything, from addiction, from workaholism, from trauma, from eating disorders, codependency, whatever it is, She Recovers is a home for women there. So Dawn Nickel is the visionary behind this She Recovers movement. She's a thought leader in the women's recovery community as well. Her personal journey began in 1987 when she entered treatment for a substance use disorder, trauma from spousal abuse, and anxiety. Dawn also identifies as being in recovery from cancer, codependency, grief, and workaholism. So Dawn and I had what I think is a pretty cool conversation. And one of the things that we talk at length about is 12-step programs. I want to kind of give a little mm, disclaimer is not the right word, but I guess I just I want to share for people, you know, I know that people listening to this may be in a 12 step program. And one of the things that I think is really important about our healing journeys is to really be discerning in any information in any healing program that we choose to enter into. And one of the things that I think Dawn does really well is hold the parts of 12-step that have been really helpful for her and for other people while at the same time challenging the parts of it that are not. So this episode may feel controversial to some people who are really into 12-step programs. I, I hope though, actually, because when I was listening to it, I came away with, you know, almost a deeper appreciation for the parts of my own 12-step journey that I really love. And so I hope that you will find that as well. So please enjoy my lovely interview with Don Nickel. Hello, Don. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi, Sarah. This is wonderful. I'm so happy to be talking with you. I am so happy to have you here, too. And I said before we started, your voice sounds like butter with that microphone. Oh, my goodness. I guess when I finish my book, I'll have to do an audiobook of it as well. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> tell me about the book. Oh, gosh. Right there, right now? I guess. I mean, we can wait. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I was just excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been writing a book for a number of years, and I'm finally actually now I kind of have a plan, and I've shared it with a structural editor, and mm. I'm actually writing the book. So that's very exciting for me. It's it's called She Recovers the Practice. 
And it's uh, really kind of about what I believe about recovery, women in recovery, with my own story interwoven, kind of an illustration of some of the principles that I've kind of come upon or come to believe in, in my several Mm -hmm. three decades, I suppose, of recovery. I love it. Well, since we've already thrown out She Recovers, do you want to tell people a little bit more about who you are and and about She Recovers? Sure. I mean, we kind of have our shtick, which is that we're an international movement of women, self-identified, broadly identified, in or seeking recovery from a wide variety of issues. I would say that about 85% of the women in our community are in recovery from substance use disorder. But from that group, as well as from a broader sampling, about 55% identify as having a mental health disorder, Mm -hmm. 40% codependent, 25% have disordered eating, 40% trauma, no surprise. Right. Probably underreported. Yeah, I know it's underreported. (laughs) Yeah. 35% abuse, whether it be sexual, physical, emotional, 30% grief. And then a whole ton of us actually identify as being in recovery from burnout or workaholism. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we... um, create welcoming spaces and transformative opportunities, both online and in real life to connect, support and empower recovering women. I'm so jealous of people who have their elevators pitched down so beautifully. It's lovely. (laughs) None of it sounded rehearsed. It was just like, blip, 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 everything perfect that you need to know. Well, I did read it right off the paper in front of me because... (laughs) (laughs) Well, well done. It did not sound like you were reading. It's just, it's a paper. It's in front of me in my office. So it's, you know tend to just look at it when somebody asks me, but thank you. Amazing. So I got to meet you at the She Recovers event in Chicago, and it was just a lovely group of women. The thing that I've been so inspired by in my life lately, and I keep seeing it show up in different places, is women really supporting other women, not just saying that we're supporting each other, but actually doing it, actually coming from a place of abundance. And I feel like that's really one of the spirits of She Recovers that I really resonated with. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I have this thought I'd love to share with you because it's, it's kind of, it's newish, but it really kind of explains and encapsulates what we're talking about. So for anybody, I know you are, but anybody familiar with the stages of change, mm-hmm. right? A friend of mine, and she's a She Recovers coach, actually, she, she talks about the stages of change, but after you get to maintenance, she kind of takes this detour off of the circle and says celebration, that celebration oh. is a stage of change. And that within that celebration, we're just so damn happy to be recovering and to have our life going in the right direction most of the time that we just really want to share it. And so our sharing comes out of that celebration and wanting to lift other people up from where they are or where we've been is just such an important piece of that. And I think that that's absolutely true when I think about the stages of change. I mean, mm-hmm. if I've been in maintenance for several decades on some of my issues, some of my maladaptive behaviors, but mm-hmm. if I hadn't found the joy in recovery and found out how to party and mm-hmm. hang out on retreats and do all the things that I do that make me shine and like just feel all the joy I can possibly feel in the world... I don't know that I would have been able to stay. Yes, yes. I don't recover from depression and anxiety and mental health disorders, other disorders. Um, I'm a survivor of domestic abuse, cancer, all of the things. Mm -hmm. I didn't do all the work that I've done and continue to do it just to maintain. Yes. (laughs) 
I bet, honestly, if somebody talked to Carlo Di Clemente about that, he would totally consider how to weave that into the model. Because you're so right. And for the clients that I work with who struggle with substance use in particular, I see this, this bifurcation of those who recognize the joy in recovery and move towards that, which also usually means doing deeper work and deeper healing versus yeah. the folks who just stay the 12-step party line and almost end up moving through the world as like dry drunks or, or addicts, right? Like not doing that deep work and not finding that joy. And gosh, I have a client and I'll never forget. He's just like, when does it get better? And I'm like, when you do the fucking work, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? I know. My husband, he's 30 years clean in in a program, a 12-step program. We, we both have a 12-step program that is the foundation of our recovery. Mm -hmm. I'm not as involved in it this last number of years because well, what I like to say is by Thursday night when my home group is meeting, I'm so fucking done with recovery. Excuse my language. <laughs> it's like, I got nothing. No got excuses. Nothing. Fuck know, it don't, all don't up, girl. Me, don't ask me to speak. Don't ask me to share. Like I'm done yeah. by Thursday night. <laughs> And I don't speak ever against 12-step recovery, but I've right. also done a really thorough analysis, you know, as a both as a researcher and my own lived experience of why it just doesn't work for everyone, right? But right. my husband, anyway, getting back to him, from the very beginning, he always just says to people who are like, really like, oh, this is just so hard and it's such misery. He goes, hey, you know, if you're not having fun in recovery, you're not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's right. just, you need to switch things up. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that message has been with me for a long time and... Anyway, I'd love to speak with what's his face. What's his face? De Clementis? Carlo De Clemente. Yeah. But I do have to attribute it very strongly to, yeah. it's to Kathy Robbins, who is herself a psychotherapist, 30 years in her own recovery mm -hmm. um, from food addiction and some other issues. And yeah, she shared that with me very recently. And I was like, I need to tell everybody about that. I need to use yeah. it. You know, I'm giving a presentation at the U.S. Journal Training Conference in Santa Fe in August. Oh, you are. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. I went to that one a couple years ago and I fucking loved it. It's 30th year, apparently. And my daughter, Taryn, and my, who's also the co-founder of She Recovers, is going to be leading a trauma-informed yoga for recovery. Oh, I'm so mad I'm not going now. I know. I'm very excited. I have a dear, dear friend who lives there that I'm staying with an extra week as well. Oh, so it's, um, I, I love Santa Fe. Yeah. It's literally one of the places that I've considered retiring like tomorrow. <laughs> I'm on the Freedom 95 plan, so I won't be retiring, but yeah. Oh I just my gosh. like to spend time in those places. Right. I'll just build a new business in Santa Fe when I move, right? That's, <laughs> that's how we workaholics do it, right? <laughs> Exactly. So speaking of that, do you want to share a bit of your story and, and how you got to recovery? So June 21st, it will be 32 years since mm. I had my last drink and did my last cocaine. So I went to treatment. I was in a very abusive marriage and I had been seeing a counselor for a while. And she just finally said to me, you're not going to get out of this situation mm. until you stop using substances. And mm. I was like, oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> So I went to treatment on July 21st, 1987. Oh my God, I'm so old. And <laughs> it did everything it needed to me. You know, I haven't had a drink or done coke. As I said, I did get out and I smoked a lot of dope for a couple of years because mm -hmm. I just, you know, I just wasn't ready to live in reality, but that was my harm mm -hmm. reduction. And I'm, yep. that was just what it was. And mm -hmm. so then I kind of got serious again by uh, investing in some work in a 12-step program for recovering addicted people. And for about 10 years, that really was everything that I did. You know, I was very, very, very much in recovery, had a lot of service positions, had a lot of sponsees, worked a lot of steps. 
And then within those 10 years, I went back to school and kind of switched my addiction in a way to school. I ended up going to school mm. for 13 years, did three degrees, culminating in a oh PhD in healthcare policy. Wow. And that was kind of, you know, that was part of my recovery, right? I was learning yeah. about all these different things. And when I finished, actually about a week before I was to defend my doctoral dissertation, I ended up in the hospital in emergency surgery where it was discovered that I had colon cancer. So my colon got, most of it got yanked out and there I was, you know, I was fine, but I ended up having surgery, moved to Victoria, British Columbia, where I live now on the beautiful West Coast. Mm -hmm. And um, in the first year that I was here, did chemotherapy. And I guess I kind of felt like at the end of that year, I got a clean bill of health. I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm 46 years old. I spent the, like, you know, I was 27 when I kind of started getting my shit together mm -hmm. and 29 when I put down the final drug that was screwing me up. Mm -hmm. And then I went to school for 13 years and now I've just had cancer for a year and mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm so behind. And I was mm -hmm. behind. Financially, we were behind. My husband had sold his business so we could move here. And I just felt like I had this responsibility to ramp things up. So I turned into a workaholic and I started mm -hmm. teaching at the university, which was one of the things that I'd wanted to do. I was a consultant and then I got headhunted into a pretty senior position as a research director in uh, our provincial government. In Canada, provinces are like your states. Yeah. Thank you, though, for clarifying. <laughs> What's a province? What's a province? Yeah. So, yeah. So from 2006 for five years until 2011, I worked at three full-time jobs. Mm. And I lost my mind when I described my bottom. You know, it was just like it was with drugs, only yeah. kind of worse because I couldn't stay in denial as easily without the substances. But I was right. lying about how much I was working. I was mm. hiding work. I was getting up. This is the one that kills most people. I was getting up in the middle of the night and going into the guest room under the blankets in the bed with my wow. laptop. Because if my husband got up to pee, I didn't want him to see me in a room with a light on or he'd know I was working. This way, I would just say, you were snoring. I had to go in the other the room. Mm -hmm. My relationships were starting to crumble. My daughters who had moved here to be with me on Vancouver Island because they thought I was going to die from cancer. Mm. They stopped asking me to do things with them because for you know oh, a wow. long time I had been saying, I can't, I'm working, I can't, I'm working. And then uh, one day, you know, one of them just said, I don't even know why we're here. Like we moved here to spend time with you and oh. like you have no time. So that was as, you know, in the beginning when my oldest daughter was six, it was kind of her attitude towards me that made me seek treatment so many years ago. So for the second time, my kids kind of smartened me up. Mm. I ended up trying to take care of myself a little bit better. And I couldn't by then, like I was just so wound up, but I did end up having a few little panic attacks and emotional breakdowns at work mm -hmm. in executive meetings. Oh boy. And, you know, finally it was just like, I, you know, I had to do something. So I went to my doctor and she said I needed some time off. And I said, okay, I'll take tomorrow off. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yeah. no, like, I think we're talking longer than that. And I said, okay, maybe a week. And I ended up being mm. off for four months and it really mm. was what I needed. It was a recalibration. It was, yes. you know, how anybody who's been in recovery from anything after you kind of give your nervous system a yes. little bit of a break and it starts to come back a little bit. My adrenals were fucked. Yes. And, and once I started to kind of heal and take care, and I mean, they took, they literally took both my Blackberries away. I had a work Blackberry mm. and, and a personal one at the time. And I just didn't have the recourse. I couldn't work. Nobody was letting me. And I was just kind of stuck with myself. And I recalibrated. I kind of redesigned, I thought, what I wanted for my life. And I'm very, very grateful today that I was able to get a grip on it at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. I did end up going back to work for a number of months 
five months, I think. And then the universe laid me off, which was beautiful. The economy had tanked for a few years by then. And we were a cost recovered unit in government and we couldn't necessarily recover our costs. So they decided to dissolve Mm. the unit. They gave me a year severance. And it was at that time that I just began to build on thinking that I'd been doing when I was off for the four months around. I really want to do something more meaningful than working for the man. You know, I'd given up teaching by that time. I wasn't doing much consulting when I was in government. But when I got laid off of government, I decided I'm going to go back to consulting because that pays my bills beautifully. And I'm going to try and build a life where I can work with and support women in recovery. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I took a recovery coaching program, which I really loved. But towards the end of it, I realized I would have to talk to 10 women a day to make the same amount of money as if I had one contract, Mm. (laughs) one client. So um, I never really did get too deeply into the recovery coaching. I do it sporadically for the odd person. Mm -hmm. But my daughter and I did decide that we would hold a retreat during my year off. So we went to Tulum, Mexico, where a friend Mm. of ours lived. And we held our first She Recovers yoga recovery retreat in Tulum in November 2012. And that was the beginning of She Recovers. Awesome. And as you were talking about the workaholism, it makes me think of comparing workaholism as, as an addiction to drug addiction as like covert gaslighting abuse that happens in families versus like overt sexual abuse or trauma, right? It's this, you can't really necessarily point at it until somebody really is like telling you all the details about it. And it's just so much easier to push those things aside because I mean, workaholism is celebrated by our society. Yeah. And you know, even though the outcomes for the family members are the same, right? Emotional abandonment. Yep. Mm-hmm. stress, you know, like, yeah, just walking on pins and needles because God forbid you should interrupt me when I'm working or mm-hmm. all of those things. And I have to say, as far as 12-step programs go, some of the best 12-step literature that I've ever read, although I've never been to a meeting, is Workaholics Anonymous. Oh, shit. I'm going to download a book right now. Yeah. So if you go to workaholicsanonymous.org uh-huh. and you go to their literature, you can actually, you can download PDFs of, they've uh-huh. just got these amazing things. They used to be plastered all over my wall and now they're not, but like they've got, you know, the characteristics of recovery, the characteristics of workaholism, the gifts of breast, mm. and it's just all these beautiful reminders. And even if you're like a hardcore in denial workaholic, the questions and the characteristics, you can't deny it. Like oh, they've, yeah. they've nailed it. You know, they've nailed it. And the interesting thing for me that, you know, my thinking has developed along with my experience in recovery from workaholism is that it doesn't have to be work. Mm -hmm. It can be, you know, a busyaholic is the same as a workaholic, right? Somebody can be, Uh you know, I actually remember being early in recovery in, in Narcotics Anonymous and but I was so involved in service that I might as well have still been using. My children yes. didn't know if I was out at a meeting or out scoring dope, right? right? And I find it really fascinating. I am literally adding four books to my cart right now because <laughs> it's, it's so funny. For myself, somehow I've always been just shy of almost every diagnosis at some point in my life. I have definitely abused alcohol, but I've never been an alcoholic. I absolutely working to the point of exhaustion and my husband being tired with me, but I'm not getting up in the middle of the night. You know, it's like, and food too, same. I'm just shy of binge eating disorder, like all of these things, but it's still, all of this stuff is just an attempt to numb discomfort and pain and learning how to sit with that. Like that's what I've really come to finally in the past couple of years is this understanding of my ability to tolerate pain is very poor. (laughs) Right. 
that's what's so important to remember and something that we stress a lot whenever we talk about what we do here is mm-hmm. not just that we're all in recovery from so many different things, mm-hmm. but there's a spectrum regardless yes. of what it is. And so one of our 10 intentions and guiding principles is we believe in early intervention. Yeah, We don't have to hit rock bottom to pursue recovery in any area of our lives. It's right. You're going to get there eventually if you're heading in a certain direction. Right. And I'd really love to talk about 12-step stuff with you because I do go to Al-Anon and so I feel well-versed in 12-step from from my personal perspective. And I've had so many different conversations with people who are on all different sides. And I just, I love to hear people's personal experience with it. And like, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? You know, all that stuff. So wherever you want to go with it, go. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to start off by saying, I will talk about it, but this is what I want to say. Yeah. And then I'll talk about it. But yeah. I almost feel exhausted by the discussion of Mm. AA versus not. And I guess because one of our, you know, again, one of our really powerful principles is that we have to be supported to find and follow individualized pathways and patchworks of recovery. So I like to say, you know what, if AA works for you and it does for millions of people, I think that's great. Yep. I don't need to tell you why it doesn't work for me. And I don't need to figure out and try and convince you why it might not work for Joe down the street. Yep. I just think it's great that it's working for you. So so that's part of it. Part of it is there's this exhaustion because yeah. I I think it ends up with the discussion so often becomes about us versus them. Right, right. And I right. find that really divisive, especially Absolutely. in the substance. So part of me, you know, kind of goes there. And then mm-hmm. the other piece is that I kind of like to talk about the fact that I love it. I think it's the most accessible Yes. Affordable Mm -hmm. recovery option, especially when it comes to substances that it is definitely the most out there. And that Mm -hmm. I think that people don't recognize their privilege sometimes when they talk about, oh, but no, I I would never go to AA Mm. because I can afford a coach. I would never go to Mm. AA because I can afford treatment. I would never, you know, I I can Mm -hmm. afford to do all these other, I have got a masseuse and a yoga therapist and a, (laughs) you know what I mean? So I, I think we have to recognize our privilege when we talk about what's accessible and not. At the same time, we can definitely say it's just not for me. And I remember when I went back to school and I was doing a women's studies degree, my first degree, and it was at the same time that I was really kind of becoming enmeshed with the 12-step recovery program. And I was on a mission as, you know, I've since figured out millions of women have been on the same mission to Mm -hmm. change the language, right? Yes, yes. To change the language from he and God and everything Mm -hmm. else. And I mean, that's just I'm sorry, people, it's never going to work. So let's not focus our energy on that. They're never going to change, I don't think. Not in our lifetimes anyway. So I kind of let that go. But I do, in my own kind of recovery from within the program, what I did a lot was I tried to really focus on because I think the language is also very disempowering at times, you know, like an very and, shame based. Yeah. The focus is more on defects. So again, yes. sorry, mm-hmm. I keep going back to or you're, I'm going to have said all 10 of our intentions. I love pro- it. This is about you. So say whatever you want. <laughs> we focus on our strengths, not our defects. Yeah. This is how we change. And that is I mean, that I developed that one in direct response to my own oh, experience yeah. in 12 step recovery. So I think it's interesting. I don't want to focus on my defects. I did that so much in my addiction that I could never come out of it until I started seeing that I had some strength. At the same time, I see people, some, you know, people in recovery now, you you can't just focus on your strengths because there are things that you need to address to change, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. I think the expectations around 12-step, this is really a gendered analysis of 12-step recovery more than anything. Mm -hmm. I don't really think about men much. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck those guys. (laughs) You know what? Figure it out. People always say, when are you going to start? He recovers. And I'm like, yeah, not today. Yeah, no. But we have also claimed the domain. So when we do decide to do it, it will be ours. Genius. 
<laughs> You're a genius businesswoman. I love it. But I guess I would say, you know, the expectations around women's participation in 12-step program is also not practical. Don't tell a brand new woman who's in recovery that she has to go to 90 meetings in 90 days and she's got a two-year-old and a 14 14- two-year-old in a two-month at home, no daycare, no money for babysitters. Don't shame her into thinking she's not doing it right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't tell her she has to take a service position unless for sure she's got the capacity and she's being of service to her family and herself first. Mm-hmm. You know, those types of things. So I think that there's a lot of things that we could do better. I'm currently working on a piece. I don't know if it's going to be a blog post or if I'm going to have it published in one of the other recovery platforms, but it's called Dear Women in 12-Step Programs. Oh. It's kind of like, first of all, I am one of you. And I love us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all the reasons that we are great are there. But let's just remind each other that we don't know somebody else's reality. And when we say, if you don't get a sponsor, Mm -hmm. you don't know what kind of traumatic experiences they've had with other women. Mm -hmm. Don't throw them in the lion's den, somebody they've never met before, just because you think they need a sponsor on day two. And all of those types of things. So, and I try to have that conversation when I can, right? Because there was something in a, one of the online Facebook groups, which I think are so amazing. We have, she recovers together. 2,300 women in there. It's amazingly yeah. supportive. And another lovely group, somebody is more 12 steps oriented. Somebody did go in there and say like, I'm being told that I have got to go to 90 meetings or 90 days, or I'm never going to make it. Mm. And out of 10 responses, all women, seven were, that's right. Yes, <gasps> that's right. And you know, then one other person was like, well, you know, do you have kids? Do you work? I kind of like, what about balance? And, right. and I know that nobody who's saying, yes, that's right. And you have to do it that way. They're just repeating what was told to them. Right. And maybe that's what worked for them. Right. But I just think mm-hmm. that we do have to be really cautious about just, I guess, the repetition of the kind of dogmatic sayings can be really dangerous if we're not careful. You have to use Mm -hmm. our brains and we have to be a little more analytical than just blindlessly follow. It's exactly the same as religion. I mean, I tell people like the big book and the Bible, I see them as very similar, right? They were these downloads of consciousness from a higher realm and they were so perfect at the time. And we have to take them within the context of which they were written. And we have to practice it in a humane way instead of, like you said, just repeating it dogmatically. Exactly. Yeah, the nuance I feel like gets lost when we just take things literally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can have a discussion about what we could do better. I think, but then we have got to focus on our strengths. And in Mm 12-step recovery, I mean, we all know that connection is the antidote to addiction. And so it's such an easy place to find connection. Routine is also so great Mm -hmm. for people coming. So it's great for that. I mean, finding a spiritual center. So all of those reasons, I just, I really like to look at both sides of it. And I just find Mm -hmm. that, first of all, the discussion that's out there is so oppositional, binary. Like, I'm proud of the way I speak about 12-step recovery. And Mm -hmm. I'm proud that I come from the tradition because I know that there are a lot of people who speak out very, very vociferously against 12-step recovery who have never been to a meeting. And that's such bullshit. You can't, it's just like somebody who, you know, an atheist who's like anti-religion and you've never even read the Bible or gone to church. Like you have no business talking about it. Yeah, that's what I feel too. So, and I, you know, this is what I love about the cyber community that I am associated with a lot of the people who are influencers in the cyber community and they speak very fairly. I mean, they will say very clearly that 12 step isn't for me for these reasons, Mm -hmm. but early in my recovery, it was everything or- yes. you know, all of these types of things. And I find that a lot of, mm-hmm. for a lot of the people who kind of do come out of 12-step recovery, who leave 12-step recovery, often it is because they've been shamed out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if mm-hmm. you have a relapse or 
if you stop going to as many meetings. That's mm-hmm. what happened to me at around six years. You know, I stopped mm-hmm. going to as mm-hmm. many meetings because I had three kids at home, mm-hmm. a husband who had a business, and I was in school full time. Mm-hmm. And my brain cells were just learning how to work again. Right. And I stopped going to as many meetings so that when I did go to meetings, people would say like, oh, well, where have you been? You got a life and you got a life here and then you forgot where you got it or. Exactly. And I was like, why do I want to spend any evening a week, you know, where people are going to try and make me feel bad? They didn't, it didn't mm-hmm. actually work. I just stopped going. Mm-hmm. Right. And I found with my clients now that I've been working with people who are like four, five, six years in recovery, there's something about that period of time where people start making the choice to search for deeper meaning in their lives. And not that you can't find that in AA, but sometimes in the rooms, people stop short of that healing because they think this is the only thing that's keeping me sober and keeping me alive. And so I have to do this where I see people who don't necessarily need to do it, though they continue their healing elsewhere. Yeah. And I love to continue to view 12-step recovery as a foundation in my recovery. Like we go to Mexico every year and we go to lots of meetings in Mexico because they go for tacos after every meeting. So that's a sell. Uh, We we might go to make two a week. I'd say we'd go to two a week, which is a lot for me when I'm not going to any at home. Mm -hmm. But it's also very social and you're meeting travelers from all over the world. But it's not my end all and be all. Yeah. You know, when I go to recovery meetings here in town now, it, like I go to share a message. If I'm asked to share, I'll share it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I go to sit in a room of people who are inspiring to me. Yes. You know, from the person who just walked in for the first time to the person mm-hmm. that's been there forever. So, I, I mean, I love it. It's just it's not where I find my personal growth anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not the work that I'm doing right now. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking to, you don't need to necessarily have a he recovers, but some some LGBT component, because I'm finding a lot of gay men are really struggling. Like I've got one of my clients who has kind of exhausted CMA. For those who don't know, it's Crystal Meth Anonymous and oh. it's just not working anymore. But he's like so committed to his recovery and so committed to his personal growth. And I'm like, I wish there was some other community for you to tap into. You know, that's so important. And we're still trying to figure that out for ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Just in terms of how we describe ourselves in the language, you know, we're trying to be more inclusive and Mm -hmm. because we recognize at the same time, you know, trying to figure out who are we for and and, and also we're not going to be for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I do think, you know, there's some language that we've been looking at recently, a few things, and I was kind of attracted to it. And then I thought, no, that doesn't work either. But this one, it talks about being, you know, for significantly female identified people. Mm. And then I'm like, ah, but somebody who is non-binary is not significantly female. So Right, right. But we try to use an inclusive definition of women and female. You know, obviously we welcome trans women, genderqueer mm-hmm. women, and not non-binary people. But and then I see this thing said non-binary people who are significantly female identified. And I'm like, is that a thing? Like, I don't right. know how that's a thing. Would a non-binary person agree that that's a thing? Yeah, Good question. Some might not, you know, and so many of the women in our community who are queer say, like, just call me a lesbian. I just want to be called a lesbian. I mm-hmm. don't want to be queer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be gay. I just So we're just trying to be sensitive and figuring it all out. And it's really difficult. It is. Well, I mean, the thing about all of these different subgroups is that we're never able to please everybody all the time. And it's the only the only word we can use for everyone is human. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. gender aside, that's the only thing that we all have in common anymore, I feel like. Yeah. The way we try to um, increase diversity in our community, which is, I mean, not surprisingly, a lot of cis, Mm -hmm. female, white, middle class women is to really try and center women of color and and others in our programming. You know, and we're doing a great job of that when we get to Miami next year already. Mm. We're we're just rocking it. 
and again, just listen to the women in our community who are able to tell us, help us, guide us, mm-hmm. tell us what works for them. The idea of if we can take over the entire hotel, if we sell out enough, we'll definitely, we already talked to the hotel about having gender neutral bathrooms and, and all yeah. those types of things. So mm-hmm. it's almost like there's things that you can do to activate a more welcoming space that's yes. really put your money where your mouth is rather than just using the language that you think people need to hear, which isn't what we're trying to do, but right. we got to do something in the meantime. So that kind of leads into the question about, are, are you a healer? Because you are creating this healing space for so many people. Oh, I feel like I am definitely a healer. Oh, I love that. And I think that, well, I, I would say I, but I'd say we. So myself, my daughter, Taryn, women that we work with, our partner, Shelly Payton, who's, she's kind of the backbone of my life. Um, we also have an event producer, Dara. So I, really there's five of us and then there's, mm-hmm. we have so many, we have 50 or 60 coaches, but three signature coaches. And I think what we really are is we're a healing container. And as a healing container, I think we can call ourselves healers. But, you know, the reason it's She Recovers and Not Recovering Dawn, which is how I started out with my blog post when I first started this project. Oh, but that's beautiful. Yeah, is because I didn't want it to be all about me. Yeah. I wanted it to be about all of us. And, and it, it's about creating space. I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of why we say we create welcoming spaces and transformative opportunities online and in real life mm-hmm. and connect to connect, support and empower women. It's all about the container. Absolutely. And, and I think even more so with women and our recoveries, like we are so relational Mm-hmm. And it's so important in community. And I tell clients and and people I come across in recovery all the time, like this is one disease you cannot, you absolutely cannot recover in isolation. I've never seen anybody successfully do it. Even if you have a tiny, tiny community, you got to have somebody else. Yeah, I would say that's true for sure. And not only that you have to, but again, I think it just goes back to what we spoke about at the beginning, right? If you can't have that joy and celebration, mm-hmm. then it's just it's just a life without the behavior. Right. So how do you feel about the term wounded healer? I haven't met any healers who aren't wounded healers. Well, maybe I have, but I mean, anybody who I've gotten <laughs> to know who is a healer has in fairly kind of pretty short turnaround time disclosed that they do this work because of their own lived experience. And I don't know what the statistics are. I know that in in the treatment industry, uh, Mm -hmm. it's very, very high. I would say in psychotherapy and other professions, it's similarly high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I think the people who go into a certain even those of us who don't identify as in recovery from substance use, yeah. all of us have some, a family member yeah. <laughs> or have yeah. had a partner, right? I always tell people like the therapist goes into their specialization because they know it from the inside out in one way or the other. So that's just a clue into, <laughs> into what we're working with. Yeah. Do you know Lisa Fredrickson? I don't. Oh, you must. You must find her. You must learn about her. Okay. So I, I don't know if you saw recently, I should probably know this better, but I don't. Within the last several weeks, there's been some attention in the press, on the internet, on Facebook, you know, the usual places, talking about the effects of secondhand drinking hmm. as a thing, like what a big thing it is and how many people are affected by it. And hmm. so it's quite, it's interesting. She's been writing about this for 10 years. And so it's quite interesting because she kind of popped her head up and said, yeah, this is a very interesting conversation. I've kind of been doing it for 10 years. (laughs) So, and again, it's just kind of that everybody's affected. 
everybody's affected mm-hmm. by something. That's just the substances, right? I mean, my dad, mm-hmm. God bless him, he's upstairs right now. He's 89 years old, visiting me mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks. And he wasn't an alcoholic. He was a stressaholic. He was just yeah. always stressed and never happy until Friday when he could have a few beer. Mm. And on Saturday when, you know, my family was over and we were all playing in the pool and my aunts and uncles were there. So I came to view alcohol as something that was good in our family. Other people have talked about their rageaholic, alcoholic fathers. And I'm mm. like, no, I really liked my dad when he drank. Yeah. He wasn't, yeah. I didn't like him so much when he didn't. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, as obviously mm-hmm. that was when I was a child, as we mm-hmm. became adults, he changed and mellowed and I love him dearly. But so the drinking wasn't what affected me. It was the never having a smile on his face and mm-hmm. never giving us any positive attention mm-hmm. ever, like, mm-hmm. ever. That's what affected me. Right. And just thinking about what's underlying that is the same thing that underlies addiction in the first place, right? Is this like drive for performing in the way that the world expects us to perform, whether it's aligned with who we're supposed to be or not. Exactly. Which is our Western culture's biggest disease. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always tell clients too, I think that people with addiction issues are called to a higher purpose because- It's a true wake up call, right? It like smacks you in the face and forces you to go do work somewhere. And if you answer that call, the people in my life who are in recovery are doing the most amazing things. And I feel like everyone has nine lives. Like, how did you fucking accomplish all of this in one lifetime? You're amazing. I love like this, this community. I, that, that's why I work in the, I mean, obviously I've had family history with it, but I work in this community because I'm just so inspired by the people who just end up getting touched by addiction. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And of course, if we're talking about addiction, you know, the, the incidence of co-occurring disorders and mental oh, health issues, yeah. it's, it's there. So it's just, it's all, nobody mm-hmm. escapes. I don't think anybody escapes. You know, one of the things I end up teaching a lot in my classes is we, we talk about alcohol and how it's really celebrated in our society and how it's used. And I found this naked mind to be really interesting, you know, yeah. and also, do you know about, oh God, what's her last name? Holly, who's doing Holly Tempest. Whitaker. Of course. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Annie Grace, Holly Whitaker. I mean, yeah. they're friends, they're dear friends and we've been supporting their work since, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we came on the scene just a couple of years before they emerged and we were very excited to see them enter the space and have mm-hmm. always been huge promoters of their work. Yeah. See women supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, because that goes back to another intention and guiding principle that says <laughs> collaboration, not competition yeah. is the only way forward. We're stronger together. Right. Yeah. Because there's enough dysfunction for many groups. We're, we're never going to run out of ourselves. I know. Ever. That's why like any therapist who's like competing for clients, I'm like, dude, there are plenty. There's plenty of crazy for all of us to work forever. I know. We have about 60 graduated. She recovers coaches now. In the last two years, we, mm-hmm. we partnered with professional recovery coach program mm. and, and then they do a she recovers coach designation. But that's the same thing that we say all the time, too. There are women who need you mm-hmm. to hold their hand and share your story and be a navigator for them. There's plenty of them and mm-hmm. everybody's looking for something different. Yeah. Well, we're coming close to the end of the hour, and I want to make sure that you get to advertise all of the things that need advertising. So please tell people where they find you, how they support you, how they can get involved, all of it. Sure. Well, www.sherecovers.co. 
So she recovers. If you Google she recovers, we come up. We've got pretty mm-hmm. good Google recognition. Excellent. And if you go on there, you'll see that we're doing some one-day workshops across North America this year. We've been to Chicago and Toronto already. We'll be in New York City October 12th and San Diego November 9th. And so those are just days, we call it our Creating Connections Tour, and we just invite change makers, women inner seeking recovery and service providers to come and just meet each other. You know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great similar work in cities that don't know other people. Mm-hmm. And women in there who are seekers aren't able to find them. So we do a little bit of yoga. We have a lovely, long, leisurely connecting mm-hmm. and networking lunch. And then we usually have a few local speakers. So that's one thing. We do retreats in Mexico and here on the beautiful West Coast. Unfortunately, every spot in every 2019 retreat is sold at the moment. Oh. But Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll be launching our 2020 retreats in the next couple of months. And the biggest deal for us right now is three things. First of all, we're looking for musical talent. So if you go on our website, you'll see there's a new musical artist search. So we want women who can submit a YouTube video of original music, something that will inspire. I mean, there's criteria, but they'll see Mm -hmm. that on the website. And then we're doing She Recovers in Miami next May 1st, 3rd, which is our big signature conference. We've done it before in New York and LA. We were at the Beverly Hilton in LA last September and in New York City in Lower Manhattan the year before. Mm. We have keynote speakers in the past, like Marianne Williamson, who just happens to be running for president right now. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel Bernstein, Elena Brower, Glennon Doyle, Cheryl Strayed was our keynote. Janet Mock. Oh, a lot of people cool. haven't heard of Janet Mock, but she's yeah. just amazing. So we haven't figured out our keynotes yet, but we've got everything else up on there and ready to go. And the day before, we're actually holding a professional symposium with our wonderful sponsor. They're sponsoring the symposium for one day before the weekend event kicks off. So Hazel and Betty Ford is sponsoring New Ways to Wellness, Mm -hmm. a symposium for healing professionals. And I think I can say at this moment that Stephanie Covington will be our keynote at the symposium. Oh, great. Yeah, she's amazing, right? In fact, when we were talking about 12-step recovery, what I meant to say is that I always make sure that women in 12-step recovery look at Stephanie Covington's work Mm. because she's got the women's way through the 12 steps and it's Mm -hmm. such a great tool. So yeah, Miami is going to be fantastic. There'll Mm. be the three finalists from our search will be performing Saturday night. It's going to be a big music. We've got a couple of other entertainers coming to sing and play music. And Now I'm jealous because you know I sing too. Well, are you with the record label? No. <laughs> as long as you're not with a record label, yeah. as long as you don't have a contract, you can submit a YouTube video to our search. I love it. Do it. I just might. You should. We'd love that. Awesome. That's the most of what's going on. I mean, we have coaches, people who are interested in in looking at what a recovery coach does mm-hmm. and check out our coaches. There's a lot on the website. Yeah. We have a lot of free resources there as well. Oh, we also have sharing circles that are starting in different cities, including Chicago soon. Yeah. And these are coach-led, but they're really informal sharing circles. Coaches charge anywhere, you know, the sliding scale of between $10 and $25, but nobody's turned away for lack of funds. Mm, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I'm happy for all of us. Yeah. I, I love and I just loved meeting you and and hearing and reading about your work. You know, I had reached out to you to have you be one of our local speakers in Chicago. I know. I'm so bummed <laughs> that I didn't get that email. Oh. Uh, it would have been awesome, but oh. we did pretty well anyway. Yes. We had great speakers, but yes. um, next time for sure. I love the work that you do. I am at your service. Anything I can do to be involved. 
Yes. Well, anything else? I feel like we covered so many things today, but is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? No, I just want to thank you for the work that you do. And, you know, for anybody who's listening, anybody can heal. Yes. You just have to take that one first step towards Mm -hmm. your own healing and it's worth it. And I hope that everybody who's on that journey ends up in that place. And they will, if you keep doing it, you know, you do end up in this place of extreme joy and celebration. And it took me a long time to get here, but it's a pretty cool place to be. And I love sharing it with other people who are joyful, like, like Sarah. Yay. Oh, thank you, Don, so much. Thanks so much for sticking with us and enjoying this interview with Don Nichol. To find out more about Don, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much. Until next time. Bye-bye.